Amen. Isn't God good? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. I'm not uh, totally oblivious to the time. I'm going to try and be as brief as I can. But in the same breath, I'm, I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to say what He needs to say this morning. Because when we're having a good time, we put no eye to the clock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Genesis chapter 4, when you're there, please give me a shout and say Amen. Amen. We're in the book of Beningings. <laughs> the book of Beningings. Genesis chapter 4, reading from verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. You can read into that. <laughs> and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also was born a son, and Seth named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. I'm going to say that again. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. The Jerusalem translation says, Then for the first time men began to invoke the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. We sense your touch. We sense your hand. And we ask now, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. Let us mix the word with faith. And Lord, I pray we'll hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to our hearts. And that, Lord, you'll help us not to be like that man James referenced who looks at himself in the mirror forgets what it looks like but help us to be the man who looks in the perfect law of liberty to the word of God and make the necessary adjustments and changes in our heart and so Lord I pray you bless this time of fellowship we have together anoint me as we share your word that nobody would hear this preacher but hear your word and your voice in Jesus name and everybody says Amen, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord Hallelujah. Uh, this is such an important uh, message I want to share because it's going to set the trajectory uh, for us as a family for the year ahead. And if you're a visitor, it's something you need to take into your heart and take with you into the year. We are approaching a time and a season where the church typically prays and the church fasts. And I've always tried to stay away from what's traditional and orthodox. And so I said to the family and the team that we're going to have, instead of our usual prayer meetings during the beginning of the year where we pray and fast, we're going to have our prayer in a different expression uh, in line with Revelation 5 where 
um, John sees this angel and this angel and, and the elders and they're carrying a harp and they're carrying a bowl in the other hand and the bowl was full of incense which the scripture says is the prayer of the saints and the harp is symbolic and is a metaphor for music and worship and so when we approached the 17th and the 24th both Tuesdays those are nights of prayer every week in case you're wondering we're going to have what we call harp and bowl where we come together and we offer up our worship in song and we offer up our prayers and intercession amen, amen. so mark that on your calendar we welcome the team to fast and pray but I've sent out guidelines. If you need the guidelines, please consult with me. One of the most important things in fasting is, um, is make sure that you abstain from food. Okay, this thing of just uh, avoiding the TV can be easy. Okay, fast from food, but do so in consultation with your doctor. If you're pregnant, please don't fast. <laughs> okay, do so in consideration to your health. Allow the Lord to speak. Um, the main thing about fasting is, is also avoiding the insulin spike. So avoid sugar. Avoid fruit. Yes, I said fruit. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's do it in the proper posture and manner. Amen. Amen. And uh, Isaiah also outlines for us the, Lord, uh, the fast that the Lord has chosen. Okay. Which means also to do good to your neighbor. So the meals you were preparing, please find someone who needs a meal and some good that you can do. Amen. Okay, so fasting is a very, very broad, broad su subject. Message me if you need any, any uh, assistance or guidance in that, or you can message Pastor Clinton. <laughs> Just teasing. Amen. So we start off the series this morning, and I'm going to title it, When the Church Prays when the church prays and the title of our sermon is calling on the name of the lord everybody say calling, calling. On, the name of the lord. on the name of the lord amen and so we've read genesis chapter 4 verses 25 to 26 and if you are a good bible reader and christian you will know that the book of genesis is a book of beginnings the book of Genesis recounts for us how the world came into existence. It recounts for us how man was created and how God fashioned and created man out of the clay and formed Adam and Eve and uh, from the very foundation he, he sets the marriage and the covenant marriage as the foundation for civilization and so if civilization fails it's because the marriage sometimes fails and the home fails and the community fails and and so on and so on and so in Genesis we have an account of how sin enters into the world and how sin gives passage to death and sin gives license to death and so Romans 5 tells us that it's through one man's disobedience that many became unrighteous and and so and so sin spread like a virus through the network because one man opened the door genesis also recounts for us 
and narrates to us how God initiated his redemptive plan for mankind. But in all truth, when you consider the broad context of Scripture, Jesus Christ was really the Lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. And Genesis goes on to narrate to us how civilization came into being and how civilization started to, to find its feet and form and tells us how God used and selected Abraham to, to form the Jewish nation and how Israel and the Hebrews became the custodians of the covenants of God and how they would be his representatives in the earth and so when we get to Genesis chapter 4 the first uh, the first scenario we are presented with is the story of Cain and Abel and the Bible says that in this fallen world, the world was now in a fallen state, in, in a place of, of darkness and separation from God. In this fallen world, Adam and Eve have a son, Adam and Abel, and they have another son, Cain, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep that was his profession he was a farmer and and Cain was a tiller of the ground he was he was a farmer and and Abel was a herdsman and both brothers were born into this fallen world and both brothers we are told brought before the Lord an offering Abel brought through a blood offering and Cain brought through an offering of vegetation which seems fair because they are giving in relation to their professions and so we're not sure why it is the case it was but God did not accept the offering of Cain and he favored the offering of Abel and scripture does does not give us any indication as to why God rejected the offering of Cain doesn't suggest to us or give us any answers but it does direct and shift our attention to another issue how do you respond when God says no because God told Cain that his offering is not acceptable but if he does well he will be accepted and that he should be on God because sin crouches at the door to enter but how does Cain respond to God's no Cain says and he's totally upset Bible says his countenance and his face drops Bitterness enters into his heart and he disregards the love, compassion and counsel of God. And what does he do? In a premeditated act of murder, he kills his brother. And since the world was in a fallen state, man was predisposed to sin and wickedness. And it was just a matter of time that since man fell out of relationship with God, it was just a matter of time until he fell out of relationship with his brother. And this is the great litmus test for every believer. We really don't want to know how well you pray. 
We don't want to know how many scriptures you can quote. We don't want to know how well you can sing, prophesy, quote the scriptures. We really want to know how do you treat people. We want to know how you treat your neighbor as a Christian. And I'll go even further and say we want to know how you treat your enemy. Because the two greatest commandments upon which the law hangs is love. Love for God and love for your neighbor. John the Beloved put it this way in his epistle, chapter 4. He says, if anyone says that I love God, but he hates his brother, he is a liar. You don't love God. Come on. How can you love God whom you don't see and hate your brother whom you see? So it gets very discouraging and disheartening to find mean, nasty Christians that walk over people. And so Cain is judged. And his judgment was exile. And so eventually Cain finds himself in the land of Nod. And Cain, Cain's life goes on. But he's marked with the seal of judgment so everybody knows Cain is judged and exiled by God. And so Cain comes into this, into this land and Cain with his descendants and his family begin to establish the city. They begin to build and erect structures and, and there were more developments socially and in the city and culturally to the descendants of Cain than any other line in the book of Genesis. And so we told that through the line and lineage and descendants of Cain that the nomadic life with tents was initiated and established. And then we see that Jubal was born, a descendant of, of Cain. And, and Jubal is said to be the father of, of the flute and the, the father of the, of the harp. And so music became part of their culture. And then Jubal's son, Tubal Cain, was a craftsman. And he was a specialist in, in crafting bronze and iron. And so we see the development in the metal industry and in the entertainment industry. And so by this time, there had been much development and advancement technologically to the descendants of Cain in the land of Nod. They had built a city and in ancient times the building of city was directly related to the, to the start of civilization. And so, and so Cain's descendants were advancing and they generally became self-dependent now. You know? Because they relied on their skill, they relied on their on the ingenuity and the craftsmanship. But the Bible tells us, if you read earlier in Genesis chapter 4, that the descendants of, of Cain were, were wicked. And the Bible says Lamech avenged, avenged his father Cain when someone, someone just struck him on the face and he boasted to the whole city and said, this man slapped me on the face but I'd taken his life. And so the descendants of Cain grew exceedingly wicked and darkness and sin began to accelerate to the point where we get to in chapter 5 where God's 
where the cup of iniquity is so full that God says, I'm going to judge the world and send a flood. And so wickedness grew and grew and snowballed and God was looking for a man. God was looking for a righteous seed. God was looking for a righteous line and lineage and he couldn't find it until Adam and Eve bore another son and that son they named Seth. And Eve said, Seth will be my replacement for Abel who was murdered. So I'll name him Seth, which means appointed, but what Eve didn't realize is that he was God's replacement in a sense. And so Seth became the righteous seed and, and line that God would use to perpetuate his purposes in the earth. Tells us something about God and his interest in the generations. God is not just interested in saving one man. God wants the household. God wants the generations. God is in the family business. And so God found a righteous seed. And in a time where civilization grew increasingly wicked, and in a time where men were predisposed to evil, we told that Seth had a son, Enosh. And in the scriptures further say, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. In this time about the birth of Enosh, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Think about that. In a time when civilization was, was increasingly wicked, in a time where men and women were predisposed to wickedness, God found a praying people. Let that sink in and settle in. A society so wicked must not be found with a prayerless people, a prayerless church. In fact, A.W. Tozer put it this way. He said, to clasp your hand in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. In other words, with everything you see going on out here in our land and around the world, all the darkness you see, all the corruption you see in, in politics and in business and, and wickedness in social life, everything you see, prayer is the first response. Prayer is the rebellion against the fallen state of the world. Prayer is the refusal of every wicked scheme and agenda that is with odds with God. Prayer is the rebellion. Sometimes we rely on our own ingenuity, on our own righteousness, and our own genius, and our own methods. God is saying prayer is the revolution. And so in a time where society was, was so full of temptation and sin was so attractive, prayer was the holding power for these men. 
who called upon the name of the Lord. Have you ever watched how a bird sleeps? Like, like seriously, have you watched how a bird sleeps on its perch? <laughs> no, it just sleeps and never falls yeah. off on a ledge or a tree or a branch. It just sits and sleeps. You know, I've always wanted to assume that position from time to time, but, but the bird somehow manages to sleep on its perch. You know, uh, in this resting position. They say the secret of the bird resting on its perch is, is in the tendons, the tendons of the bird's leg. So the tendons of the bird's legs are constructed in such a way that when its leg is bent, at the knee. The claws contract and grip like, 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 like a steel trap. And the only way for the bird to release that trap is, is for it to unbend its knee. So the claws refuse to let go until the knees are bent. The bended knee gives the bird the ability to hold on to its perch tightly. In a world so dark that you need to hold on to, in a world so full of temptation and rife with iniquity, the secret holding power of the church has always been the bended knee. Some of you right now, Right now, as I speak, you are struggling with temptation. You're struggling to hold on to your faith. You are so overwhelmed with anxiety and stress and pressure, and you don't know how you're going to keep it together. Prayer is your whole power. Struggling with temptation, Jesus told his disciples. Pray, 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 lest you fall into temptation. Pray. There's no magical secret to avoiding temptation. You can put up all the boundaries. You, you can tell your friends to check up on you. you. You can get rid of your phone. You can delete WhatsApp. But fundamentally, the secret has always and ever been the ancient practice of calling upon the name of the Lord. No amount of counseling or strategizing will substitute the need for prayer. If we're not praying, we strain. If you're not praying, you're playing. Prayerlessness is a sin, according to 1 Samuel. And so we get to this day and time in Genesis chapter 4. And the Bible says, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And if you read the translations in NIV, and you read it in the New Living Translation, it says, At this time, at this time, on this day, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. This passage suggests to us that it was at this point, on this day, that God had, had, had to mark it. He said, on this day, men gathered together to pray. It was so special to God that he paid attention to it. And he said, I am marking this day. 
I am paying special attention to this day and I'm going to record, I'm going to make a record of it. On this day, in the time of Seth and Enosh, men began to call on my name. <laughs> you know, it's the first time recorded that people gathered together corporately. That was the first time people gathered together corporately. They came together. And they call on the name of the Lord together. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> oh, uh, I hope you're hearing me here this morning. God paid special attention to the moment men and women decided to get together corporately and call on His name. It's sad that God pays more attention to corporate gatherings than we do. God pays more attention to church than we do. God don't miss a surface family. <laughs> God don't miss church. He said we're just two or three gather. That's how, how much attention he pays to it. We're two or three gathers. I'll be there in a special way. I'll be there when you call on the Lord personally in your secret place. But when we get together, I'll be there in another special way. When you gather in my name, I will be in their midst. He puts value on corporate gatherings. I read a post yesterday by uh, one of our guest speakers. Uh, if you do get a chance, uh, please follow this guy's post. He says on his status, Church member says, my life always sings. My life is not my own, to you I belong. I give myself away. Pastor says, will you join us for prayer on Tuesday? Church member replies, Pastor, don't you know I have a life outside of church? <laughs> Leonard Ravenel will put it this way. Christians don't tell lies. They come to church and sing it. Some of you have been singing, I... Surrender all. You've been singing for decades. And God is saying, ah, give me more. <laughs> Just give me a small portion. Give me more. Give me all. Give me all. You said it. Give me all. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another, provoking each other to love and good works, not neglecting the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another as we see the day approaching. This was the first time men gathered corporately and what was the one thing they are recorded doing, praying. Praying. This was the first point in men's theology. This was their first understanding about who God is. This was the first point in the summation of, of who God is that we can call upon Him. There was no Bible, there was no choir, there was no preaching. Nothing. All men knew was that there is a God and we need to call upon Him. 
I'd like to suggest to you that the first responsibility of the church and the local church is prayer. The first responsibility of your life is prayer. The first responsibility of your day when you get up is not coffee. It's not Facebook. It's prayer. If you hem in your day with prayer, your morning with prayer, is less likely to unravel. Paul gives an instruction to Timothy. He's given oversight over the local church at Ephesus. And he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, Therefore I exhort you, Timothy, my son, first of all, ensure that everybody gives attention to supplications and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving to all men. Prayer must be the first call of duty. One time Jesus was recorded. Only time you see Jesus portrayed this way, he was upset. This was no Jesus meek and mild. He was so infuriated and so irate. He got to the temple and he saw merchants in the place of prayer where prayer is offered up for the nations of the world. And so he gets there, and what does he do? He forms a whip. You know, some of us got to correct our theology of Jesus. He's not this blonde Jesus with the blue eyes and fair skin. That's not how an ancient Jew looked. <laughs> you know, he blamed Michelangelo on him for that stuff. <laughs> okay? He didn't speak in Elizabethan and thee, thou. No, no, no. He was... A man in every sense of the word. He worked with his hands. He was a carpenter. He fixed himself a whip. He overturned the tables. He whipped out the cattle. And when the disciples looked at him in shock, they remembered the scripture. The zeal for your house has consumed me. And Jesus uttered these words. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. My house must be known for its intercession. It must be known as a praying house. The Holy Spirit was poured out in a corporate gathering with men and women who are calling on the name of the Lord. God's power always finds a praying people. Always. Just a few thoughts and reasons why corporate prayer and corporate gathering is important. And then I'm out of your ear. Reason why corporate prayer is important is because it unifies the body of Christ. When we come together, different backgrounds, different needs, different struggles, different faces, different hairstyles, different ways of dressing, when we come together, we are unified in purpose and focus. When we pray together, we get to pray outside of our own needs. When I pray for Dio's struggle, I'll easily forget about my struggles. Because you find out that people are going through more than what you're going through. But you're all here having a pretty body and me, 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 my, my life and oh, everything's for me. 
And sometimes the best remedy for you, your blessing is you blessing others. And so when we come together, we come so, so together in a unified way. And we not only connect with God, we connect with each other. We connect with each other. Because sin came into the world to disconnect us from God and to disconnect us from each other. When we come together to pray, we edify the body of Christ because Galatians 1 verse 6 says we should bear one another's burdens. We build each other up. When we come together to pray, we also build our faith muscle. Because there's power in agreement. Where two or three agree touching on anything, it shall be established. And we need the prayers of others. Sometimes there just needs to be two or three more people praying with you to see your breakthrough. God just established it that way. In fact, the Bible says in James, even when you're sick, call for the elders and pastors. Let them lay hands on you and pour oil on you. And, and the prayer of the righteous will avail much and you'll be healed. Corporate prayer is important because... It creates a sense of expectancy. Imagine coming together and we prayed for your need. And a week or two later, God miraculously answered your prayer. And you come back to the prayer meeting and you say, God did it. God did it. And we know that if he did it for you, I... He can do it for me. So Psalms chapter 5 verse 3 says, David singing, he says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. I call on your name. In the morning, Lord, I lay my request before you. And I wait expectantly. Psalm 5 verse 3. Last thing I'm going to say about corporate prayer, and then I'm done. Corporate prayer teaches us how to pray. Yeah. I've sometimes learned how to pray by watching people pray. Yeah. Not in the superficial sense of I want to copy what you're saying. You know? But a sense where when I see people pray with heart and really vehemently crying out to God for hours. I've been in prayer meetings hours. Folks, we haven't seen a prayer meeting yet in Red River where people are wailing and calling on the name of the Lord and they've thrown their whole lives down on the prayer altar. The disciples learned how to pray by watching Jesus pray. That's why God calls us into community. God calls us into community so we can learn from each other. No man is, a, is, a, is, is the whole body of Christ by himself. Just as the steering wheel is not the car. You are a member of the body. One piece. That theology that says, I am the church, is a heresy. You are a member of the church. The church is bigger than you can imagine. It spreads across every nation, over every time and age. 
and we learn faith from each other we learn how to serve God from each other when I see the, the devotion of Clinton or I see when Pastor Bevan comes here and he hasn't even taken a bath Come on. what's your excuse? <laughs> you see how did you see the present worship leader at rebirth? she broke a fibula and tibula bone completely off she got plates screwed into her leg. Come on. Three days later, she's singing. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't come to the gathering to call upon the name of the Lord. Because there's no water running to your taps. The hot water is not working. Huh? My goodness, guys. <laughs> I'm just pulling your leg, but I'm not. <laughs> guys. Men. At one time, God mocked because that was a significant moment. I wish I could get into it, but time is so against us. The significance of what it means to call upon the name of the Lord. Because it doesn't really mean what you think it means. It doesn't just mean pray. It means that you're calling on Him as though you're depending on Him. Okay. And there was a contrast between the line of Seth and the line of Cain. If you look into the scriptures, you'll see that the line of Cain they became self-dependent but these men righteous men and women were dependent on God and so our dependency and sufficiency comes from Christ and his finished work can we stand and pray